On this week's episode of the Marketing Expedition podcast, I get to speak with Brian Clayton. He is the CEO and co-founder of GreenPal, an online marketplace that connects homeowners with local lawn care professionals. GreenPal has been called the Uber for lawn care by Entrepreneur Magazine and has over 200,000 active users completing thousands of transactions per day. Before starting GreenPal, Brian Clayton founded Peachtree Inc., one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, growing it to over $10 million in a year in annual revenue before it was acquired by Lusa Holdings in 2013. Brian's interests and expertise are related to entrepreneurialism, small business growth, marketing, and bootstrapping businesses from zero revenue to profitability and exit. You're going to want to hear what Brian has to say. Trust me, it's an amazing marketing journey that we're about to go through. But first, before we do that, I need to tell you all about Strike Tax Advisory. Qualifying clients on average can get up to 250,000 or even more in federal and state R&D, research and development tax credits for their investments in innovation. You need to listen to the podcast that we've had with uh, Strike Tax Advisory previously and go to peppershock.com slash offers and then go click on the link to get your offer to connect with Strike Tax Advisory. Go see what you can do to get R&D tax credits. They're the experts in this field and they have worked with thousands of companies to help them get their R&D tax credits specifically. And they work with other CPAs and, and other referral partners to help build this into your strategy and plan for your taxes. Okay. So peppershock.com slash offers. And now it's time for the marketing essentials moment, the basics that you need to build your brand and your bottom line. Today, I wanted to talk about all in one CRM software that can save you time. So we use a program called Benchmark One that agencies can purchase and we manage automation system for our clients. And if you haven't used any type of marketing automation, this is something that I recommend that you consider using because it can help you with time and you can spend, you know, maybe less time on trying to get your sales and marketing and maybe more time on your business, right? And utilizing tools like this, a customer relationship management software tool that does your email, it tracks all of your leads and opportunities in your pipeline, and it allows you the freedom to be able to automate what you hate. <laughs> and if we can create those email messages in a sequence in a series, if this, then that, and be able to communicate with your customers, use utilizing their name, personalizing it, but yet automating it, right? So you can personalize the automation. And so thinking about how you can incorporate a CRM tool in your marketing strategy and plan can be something that can be very, very beneficial to your business and will pay off over time, right? It's an initial investment to get it up and running, but then long-term gain, right? Short-term pain, long-term gain. And it really does put in a simple, repeatable process for connecting with your contacts and helping you drive your sales. So if you wanna learn more about Benchmark One and what we do for our customers and how we help them in automating their marketing and helping them through this process with copywriting and graphic design and creating templates that they can just easily update, we can help you do that. There's a login for both the agency and the client to help make this happen and make it a seamless, streamlined process to really bring your customer relationships front and center. And it will do some lead scoring and it will help you identify those people who are engaging and interacting with you the most, right? You can link up to the social media accounts and you can help keep communication flowing and help you stay top of mind through simple yet intelligent drip 
email campaigns and autoresponders. You can do all of these things with form fills and easy to use email marketing and automation tools. And again, go to peppershock.com, reach out to us, let us know how we can help you get through this process and understand what it is you can do. And we can give you a demo. You can see how it all works, whether you decide to use us or someone else. I just want you to understand how important it is to incorporate email marketing and marketing automation into your marketing strategy and plan. And you can send out messages that will engage and delight, ideally targeting your next potential prospective customer in just a few clicks by doing it. Okay, now let's get into the interview with Brian. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast, an auditory journey through the latest in marketing, branding, and advertising. Now, here's your Marketing Expedition Guide, Ray Allen. Welcome to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Allen. I'm the president and CEO of Peppershock Media and the founder of the Marketing Expedition Community. And today we have Brian Clayton. Brian, welcome to the show. Ray, thanks for having me on your show. It's great to be here. Absolutely. Let's let's just dig right in and tell our audience more about you. I I read your bio. Oh my goodness, you've got quite the experience. But take me back. Like what got you started and what got you into where you are now? Share with us. Yeah. So my name is Brian Clayton. I'm co-founder and CEO of a company called GreenPal. And GreenPal is a mobile app that works like Uber, but for lawn mowing services. So if you're a homeowner need to get a lawn mowing service rather than calling around on Craigslist or something like that, you can just download our app. You pop in your address, you'll get quotes and you hire somebody to mow your yard for you right from the app. And then if it goes well, you set it up for the whole season and just forget about it. And I guess you could say we're like a nine-year overnight success. My two co-founders and I have been working on the business for almost a decade. And now, you know, we're doing uh, over $20 million a year in revenue, over 300,000 people using the app to get their lawn mode. And, and I guess, uh, I guess our, our key to success is just sticking with it. We just stuck with one thing, one problem we were solving, trying to make it as easy as pushing a button to get this chore done. And... Um, you know, before I had this business, I actually had a landscaping company. I started mowing grass in high school as a way to make extra cash. And I, uh, over a 15 year period of time, built one of the largest landscaping companies in the state of Tennessee, where I live and, uh, and ended up selling that business uh, in 2013. It was doing around $8 million a year in revenue at the time. And uh, I think I had around 150 employees. So I built it to one of the larger uh, companies, landscaping companies in the region and exited that company retired for about a year, got bored, had the idea for Green Pal, decided, hell, let's just see if I can do this, and then recruited a team to build it. And now here we are 10 years later, and we're the nationwide, largest nationwide network for landscape contractors to, to get hooked up with homeowners. So let's explain how this works. The people that are mowing lawns, they need to sign up for it. And they, are they, are they licensed? Are they what, I mean, they have some sort of criteria, maybe it's self review based. Tell me about the, the people that are on the app. Yeah. So when contractors come onto the app to, to apply to become a, a seller on top of our platform, they go through a, a screening process, uh, an initial process to make sure that they're legit make sure that they uh, are who they say they are, that they have a valid business, that they have a bank account, that they go, they undergo a, a credit check. Um, and then we check to make sure they have the right uh, 
the right equipment to do the job. And then they come on and, and they sell their services to homeowners looking to book them. After that, we rigorously screen them in terms of, okay, feedback from homeowners. What are people saying about their experience with them after they hired them? And then also statistics around, do they show up on time? Uh, because that's a big thing in, in terms of hiring somebody to do this chore for you. A lot of times they flake. A lot of times you'll hire a contractor and they won't show up or you'll hire somebody and they'll show up once and then they kind of disappear. There's a weird, mysterious thing of the case of the disappearing lawn guy. And that's, that's one of the main, yeah, that's one of the main things we solve for homeowners is, is make sure that they, they hire somebody, they show up, they do a good job and then they continue to show up. And so we continuously, uh, rate and, 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 uh, and score contractors on, do they show up on the day they're supposed to, do they do a good job? Do they get booked for continuing visits? Because if somebody gets hired one time and never gets hired again, and that consistently happens, it tells us that they're not that great. And so we, we always, we're, we're always promoting the good contractors and demoting and even expelling the ones that aren't uh, reliable. So homeowners can then hire reliable service providers and the reliable service providers can make material income on top of our platform. So it's kind of a win-win. All right. And they get to take the jobs whenever they want at their leisure. When they need more work, they'll add on more work. And if they don't, they won't. Just like, like you said, That's the right. Uber, Uber concept, right? Yeah, we're not their boss. Uh, we're not. We're not their uh, their their employer. Uh, we are a marketplace that connects buyers and sellers. So when contractors need more work, they 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 submit more pricing. When they don't, they don't. And, uh, and, and at the end of the day, it's their business. So they are they are in charge. They have agency over what they do. Whereas you know, a lot of uh, I guess you could say gig economy platforms, that line gets blurred. And sometimes gigsters end up looking more like employees. Uh, whereas we don't want to be in the in the business of employing these folks, we're in the business of connecting people that need the service with the the folks that want to do the work. So, what's the pricing model? Do the end users pay, or is it the contractors that pay, or both? Contractors pay us a small uh, transactional fee for all the work they do on the platform, and that varies dependent on how much volume they're pushing through. So if they're only doing like $1,000 a month, they, they pay a higher uh, percentage. If they're doing $50,000 a month, they pay a lower percentage. And they set their own pricing. So when a homeowner comes onto the platform, puts their address in, uh, contractors are presented with a bunch of information about that property, the, the square footage, how long has it been since they last got a mowing, uh, imagery from like satellites and street view that Google uh, and Zillow gives us. And then they uh, submit their pricing directly to the homeowner through the platform. And the homeowner then figures out, okay, well, these are my five prices. These are reviews. These are ratings about these different contractors and I'll hire who I want to work with. And so we make the whole thing like a lot more convenient, a lot more seamless. Whereas, so, you know, a contractor can quote 20 or 30 of these, you know, in five minutes versus just riding around town. How you doing? Riding around town and, uh, mm -hmm. and like trying to figure out who they want to work with, you know? Right. And, and so we end up, we end up saving uh, time on both sides of, 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 of the transaction. Yeah, no, that's great. Making it seamless and convenient and you can pay right online, I'm sure. And, and all of that. Can you tip also? Can you give them a tip? Yes. Yes. But um, that's something that we've, we've always, uh, kind of debated the uh -huh. tipping thing, because, yeah. because if you'll notice like, uh, uh, DoorDash is running into this problem where there's this, there's this phenomenon called tip baiting. Mm -hmm. And, and so, and so, uh, I think I saw this, uh, this TikToker was, was talking about how they will choose 
the orders they want to fulfill based on the tip and then they deliver it. And then the tip gets changed on the back end. Um, sometimes, uh, sometimes the consumer will change the tip. And so this is a weird thing. Yeah. We do have tipping on our platform, but it's after the fact, after the service is done, if you want to give a tip, you can, but it's not required. It's not, it's not expected. Uh, yeah. and that's the way we feel like it should be. Well, like at Starbucks, I don't tip until after I get it pops up later. And then it right. says, do you want to tip? And here's your window of time to tip. And then you can do it. Right. Seems like DoorDash could take a page out of that. <laughs> we feel like that's fair. Um, I think at, at its core, maybe DoorDash's model is, is not sustainable unless there's a tip. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they kind of encourage that to kind of backfill some of the some of the costs, maybe. Uh, I'm not sure. But we're not going to change it. That's how we feel like it's fair. And a tip mm-hmm. should be for extraordinary service. It shouldn't be like expected for, for normal service. Well, yeah, usually you tip after the fact anyway. So I think that that's a, a, a smart way to go so that people can then have the ability to change it if they want to or give as much as they want to after the service has been performed. So, yeah, I mean, that's what you do at a normal restaurant or a normal, you know, anytime you tip anybody, it's, uh, you know, that they did a good job. Great. Here's your tip. If they didn't. That's how we see it. Too. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So if you are um, thinking about this as a marketing journey, you've, you've said this is an overnight success of nine years. Let's think back. What did you do to start getting this app out there? Like, how did people start to know about it? What did you do to kind of accelerate word of mouth and getting people to use this app? And then tell me, kind of walk me through, what is your marketing strategy? What have you been doing to really get it to, to grow to the exponential amount of users you have now? Yeah, I think, uh, I think the look at it like a journey is, is a good metaphor because I think uh, your business can be like the storyline to your life. I think you're, and I think marketing is half of business, if not more. And so like, if you look at it, like your, your life story could, you know, could just be your marketing journey almost. Like, <laughs> yeah. how did I get my first hundred customers is definitely part of my life story. Absolutely. And, and so, yeah. and so, uh, and so we, you know, when we launched this thing in 2012, we had no user acquisition strategy. We had no, we had no plan to get customers. And we we're like, Oh man, we just spent nine months building this thing. And now it's like, it's crickets. It's, if you build it, they will not come. <laughs> not unless and, you market it, right? Right. And so, <laughs> and so like we did the only thing we knew how to do. We, uh, we made up a bunch of door hangers and we passed out like 200,000 door hangers all over Nashville, Tennessee, where we live. And that was just what we had to do at the time to hustle up a hundred people to, to use the thing. And, and we ended up getting a hundred, maybe 200 people to, to use it. And, and then we like treated them like gold and really tried to figure out, okay, what is it that they want that we're not delivering on? Where are they disappointed? What do they wish this thing would do? And we met with as many of these folks that would meet with us. You know, we, every Starbucks in, in, ten, in middle Tennessee, you know, <laughs> kitchen, kitchen tables and, and things of that sort, just like meeting with these folks face to face and trying to figure out, uh, let, let's, like, let's get feedback in terms of where we need to improve. And one thing we came across was we would always ask them, you know, how do you normally find a lawn mowing service? And, and the thing we kept on hearing over and over again with people say, well, you know, after I called the recommendations from friends and family and, and those folks stood me up, I would just go to Google out of sheer desperation and I would just look for a lawn mowing service there. And so we, we kept hearing that over and over again. We said, well, you know, we kind of knew that Google search would, would might be part of our strategy, but this really solidified it. And, and it gave us the, uh, I guess you could say the confidence to bet the company on this one channel. Cause I think in the early days, you know, you, you, you're not going to be good at 
all of these different channels at your disposal. You really kind of have to figure out which one is a good marriage for your business and bet the company on it. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. We, we really just poured our resources and trying to figure out how do we develop a, a, a really world-class content marketing strategy? How do we really compete in Google organic search at a local level and what that means? And that's everything from just pouring over blogs, taking online courses, reverse engineering, who's killing it and applying it to our strategy and then executing on that strategy. However much we were doing in terms of building the Uber for lawn care and the app and what that means and all the technology, we also had to reinvest that same amount of resources in competing in Google organic search. Mm-hmm. And now here we are, you know, a decade in, that's how we get over half of our users is, is through Google organic search. The other half come from, from word of mouth. Well, and now you can do voice search. So now optimizing for voice search too, you know, lawn care service provider near me. And hey, you know, I won't say it because it'll trigger my, you know, (laughs) (laughs) my device. But the um, the next thing you know, you're getting remarketed to from us. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. I know that's a huge trend that that people are really trying to optimize for voice search. So that is, um, I think, going to be one of the the next big things that people are going to continue to do. And now the metaverse is out there, right? People can shop online and use augmented reality and and all this crazy stuff. <laughs> and it really, you know, uh, I see this a lot. A lot of new founders will, they'll, they'll make their business plan and then under distribution, user acquisition, they'll just put like a bunch of acronyms, SEO, PPC, uh, CRO, things like that. And it's like, that's not a strategy. It's like, you really have to innovate in one of these channels. You really have to make it part of your core competency or else you won't get the traction and you'll get disillusioned and, and then you'll go out of business. So my, my advice is like, however much you're innovating in your business, you also have to innovate in your, your growth strategy and, and how you're going to get customers to find out about what you're doing. Absolutely. And I love how you dug in and read blog posts and just, you know, figured out how to do it and online courses to, to make it happen because it is, it's part science and part intuition and, and learning and growing. I mean, what are some of the, the, maybe looking back, what are some of the things that you remember learning that you wish you would have known before you started doing it and spending money on it that now, you know, you're like, oh man, that would have been so great if I would have known that. Yeah, uh, many, many, many things. One is the power of copywriting. So uh, if, if, if you're going to be in business for yourself, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you just know like the 80-20 of good copywriting, it can really help you out a lot because copywriting, being a good copywriter helps you really understand something that there is always going to be a gap between founder logic and customer logic. And if you're a good copywriter, you're constantly taking yourself and putting yourself in the shoes of your customer, putting yourself in the shoes of your prospect. So I mean, good copywriting is something that everybody needs to spend at least six months of their life dedicated to reading as many books as you can, taking online courses, looking at your sales copy. It could be your welcome emails. It could be the copy on your website. Um, If you don't have a digital product, it could just be the copy in terms of of your sales letters or whatever. And so being a good copywriter is is just such a high inflection point, high, I guess like a fulcrum almost. And I wish I had started with that rather than stumbling upon it, you know, in year two or three. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, just like subject lines in an email, every word can matter and whether it lands in spam or not, or whether people decide to open it or not. Right. Yep. Yep. You have to, as a good copywriter, you have to make every word count and you really understand that as you start to dig into it and people don't want to be sold to, they want to be communicated with and, and just understanding the difference and, and, 
and 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 just it gets, it's 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 something that really everybody should spend three or six months learning. Wow, that's great. So, how many people work with you now on creating and maintaining the app? Now we have a team of forty-two, and we started out with just me and my two co-founders, and you know now we're ten years in, and uh, and everything from engineers building and writing code to designers designing interfaces to content creators creating guides and blog posts to to uh you know we've got a a, a, a guy all he does is seo so an seo lead that drives that strategy so there, there, so the good thing is when you when you build out a team around you you can put specialists in in places where they can excel Mm-hmm. But one thing that I've learned the hard way is that you kind of have to be a 20 good at all of these things uh, to know how to delegate them. I, I have tried to delegate things that I don't understand that I don't know how to do. And it's always a recipe for disaster. So like I had to teach myself how to write code and build the first version of the website before I could de- delegate to developers. And right. I tried to do it the other way. And that, that was a disaster. So so if you can just like as a founder, be a real generalist and just be kind of half good at a lot of different things, it'll help you. Yeah. What do they say? Uh, Jack or Jane of all trades and a master of some? <laughs> kind of have to be, you know, it's not popular, but you kind of have to be decent at all of these things. And the good news is you can learn this stuff mm-hmm. for free. Everything you need to learn about anything is on YouTube. Right. And, uh, and if you're sufficiently dedicated, you can, you can learn it for free. Absolutely. Okay, so let's take a step back. What inspired you that first mowing job? Obviously, you're in high school, you needed some money. I mean, this is really kind of the trajectory of the path that you took. Who inspired you? What what inspired you? What made you want to earn that money? What was the first thing that you bought with the money that you got? (laughs) Yeah, I'd like to tell you that I was like a born entrepreneur and that I was just, you know, like just had an intuition to, to take this path in life. But the reality is, is I was forced into entrepreneurship by my father. Uh, I was 15, 16 years old. And he came into my room on a hot summer day. I interrupted me playing Super Mario Kart <laughs> and said, hey, get off your butt. You got a, you got a job to do. You're going to go mow the neighbor's yard. And he made me, we weren't living in a uh, democratic household. And he made me, <laughs> he made me go mow the neighbor's yard. Luckily he did because I made like 20 bucks an hour, which in 1996, that was amazing. Yeah. Uh, still kind of is. <laughs> and, uh, and so, uh, and so, and so I was hooked. I was just, I was like, this is great. I'm just going to like try to get as many of these as I can. And I passed out a bunch of flyers and, and, uh, and I was making three or $400 a week in, in the mid nineties, mowing grass as a, as a teenager. It was awesome. And, and I never looked back. I just kind of stuck with that business and kept growing it. That's awesome. Well, that's a lot of grass. <laughs> a lot of, yeah, I've, I've cut, cut a lot of lawns in my day, thousands, yeah. tens of thousands. <laughs> now that's probably one thing that you enjoy delegating at this point in your, your, uh, your career. Never want to go like back. Yeah. I, I, if I never pick up another weed eater and, and never have to smell <laughs> cut grass ever again, that'd be fine with me. <laughs> that's funny. So what are some resources or maybe some podcasts that you listen to, or maybe websites that you go to get your information now to keep on top of everything? Yeah, I think um, when you are looking for these sorts of things, maybe even like mentors, you know, you need to look for for folks that have done what it is you're trying to do and folks that have that are practitioners of this stuff. And you really need to need to go down the long tail. I think, you know, this day and age of like not that Tony Robbins and Gary Vaynerchuk aren't great, but like they're not tactically going to help you figure out what it is you're trying to do. So, so for me, you know, I'm always studying other marketplaces, other 
other folks that have built successful marketplaces and in maybe in different kind of niches, like, like there's a, there's a marketplace called Rover uh, that does dog walking. And, and so I have really studied them very, very intensely over the last five years in terms of how they connect buyers and sellers around dog walking. And there's things I've learned, uh, um, you know, and applied it to, 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 to the lawn mowing business. So, and, and then also you want to look like practitioners, practitioners of this stuff. So there's a guy named, uh, Casey Winters, that uh, that was the first growth guy that they hired at Grubhub and then Pinterest, and and this guy really talks about how those companies scaled and how they used SEO as a strategy to scale. And so, so not that everybody needs to rush and like read this dude's stuff, but if you are building like a like a like a platform that runs on SEO and it's a marketplace, this is the one guy you need to like just consume everything he's ever put out. So, my point is. Um, when you're looking for like sources of information, really try to go long tail and try to figure out who is talking about the exact things that I need to execute on. And I can learn from that rather than just staying general, generalized and, and, uh, and, and not getting actionable uh, insights. Um, that, that's what's worked for me over, you know, a decade of, of just pouring through YouTube University and, and the, the, the open web in terms of blog posts, things like that. And, and the cool thing is, is, as you get a little traction, you start to like uncover this guy or this gal or this person or this company, and it kind of just builds and compounds. Right. Yeah, I know. I, it's, it's great. And I, I get the privilege of being able to interview all kinds of people. And I just had on our show uh, recently, it's Simple Pin Media. Anyway, she is an expert on Pinterest and that's her focus of her business. Brilliant. And Pinterest is the third largest search engine and social media platform in the world. I had no idea. Like there's interest in Pinterest again, right? Pandemic caused it or whatever, but I have to imagine I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. I mean, most people who who would maybe sign up for this would be females. Is that true? Well, um, you know, Pinterest is 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 interesting. Like, if let's say if you let's say you have a home remodeling business and and you sell six figure remodeling projects to to uh, affluent clientele, Pinterest is your best is one of your best channels you're ever going to find. And, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of guys that that look at, at, at the before and afters and the, the design choices and maybe the teardowns and all these things. You can document all of that on Pinterest right. and, and expose that and use that as a channel to grow your 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 remodeling business. And you might think, oh, remodeling business, that's 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 small time. I don't know. I've I've, I've met some contractors that operate in a space that are doing eight figures a year in revenue right. and, and, and they're using things like Pinterest and YouTube as a, as a way to, to, to generate never ending interest in their business. Mm -hmm. And so like, if you're, if you're founding a new remodeling business, you should probably take that lady's course or you should probably hire her because that's the channel you need to learn how to execute in. And you probably don't need to worry about anything else until you maximize it. So this stuff will surprise you. Um, and the problem is it's impossible, particularly as an early stage founder, to be good at Pinterest, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Google Organic, Google AdWords, Facebook. Ad like you can't be good at all this stuff at the same right. time. So sure, you really sure. need to double down and focus on one. Mm -hmm. One at a time, right? So who's your target audience? I mean, who is it that you go after when you want to show your, your ads? I mean, is it, you know, dual income, no kids? Is it, you know, who, who do you segment and go after? It's funny, when we first started, I thought it was going to be higher end affluent clientele, because that's who hires gardeners. And that was who I served in my first business. What I came to find out 
was that that wasn't our customer. Our customer was like the the combined household income, maybe 60K uh, living in a $200,000 house or a $300,000 house, um, not a million dollar house. And uh, these numbers might sound comical depending on what part of the country you live in. But that was what we learned was mm-hmm. that uh, was that our our target market was, was kind of the working class family because we could make it cheaper for them, more convenient for them and more cost effective to where they could afford to hire somebody to do this chore versus, you know, it being out of reach previously. And, you know, by at the end of the day, if you do this stuff yourself, you go buy all the equipment and you, you, you self-execute it, you're probably making less than minimum wage by the time you, you could hire somebody and pay them to do it on our platform. Right. And then you don't have to maintain a lawnmower and change right. the oil no and keep it all maintained. I love that idea. No brainer. Is this app available in all the major cities or where where is it located? We've spent four years just in Nashville, Tennessee, trying to perfect it, get the workflows right, make sure that it, it was it was reliable, that it worked 99 times out of 100. And after we got some consistency there, we started expanding into other cities and now we're nationwide in the United States. It doesn't matter if any city you live in, over 30,000 population, where we're, we have liquidity into where you can order somebody to, to take care of this chore for you. That's awesome. I love it. And of course, the people who have a faster response time probably get better results. And so what's, what is the average time to when you, you, you put a bid out there or you want you know, a request to get your lawn mowed? And then you know, how long does it take before things happen? Yeah. So you pop your address and you pop your physical address and email address in within five minutes, you should have five quotes and then you can read reviews, compare pricing, hire you want to work with. Most of the time they come out that same day, if not the same day, the next day, and you just pay them through the app. And then you set it up for an ongoing schedule after that, every seven days, 10 days, 14 days, whatever you like. And it just happens like clockwork in the background. You don't have to worry about wrangling the lawn guy anymore. So that's, that's, that's the platform's job is to make sure that all the trains run on time and that you just don't have to worry about this. I love it. I love this idea too for like my grandparents, you know, I mean, sometimes they'll hire my kids, my, my sons to come and mow the yard, but they live clear across, you know, the town and it takes a while and my kids are busy kids. And so sometimes it might be nice to just hire somebody for them. We see yeah. that a lot. You can, you can manage multiple properties from the platform and, and we see a lot of folks uh, yeah. ordering services for their, for their parents in other States. And the other thing is you get photos of the completed work after it's done. So you can awesome. confirm that it was done. Yeah, that's a real good use case for us. Right. Yeah, no, I love that you get photos after kind of like when I get deliveries now, there's a picture of it sitting on my door, you know, right. sent in, sent to me. And and that helps, I think. It also keeps the legitimacy, you know, of and the sustainability of the, the entire process that you're going through, because then you trust it and you you can give reviews and do all of those things that are really kind of self-managing, right? These days, it's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also saw something recently that is it the Nextdoor app where people are starting to put more business effort into the ne- you have, you know what I'm talking about the Nextdoor app. Yeah, yeah, they they they, re- they recently went uh, public, and so they're having to figure out how to turn on the revenue stream, and that is a great use case for Nextdoor is recommendations around okay, I'm looking for a plumber, I'm looking for a landscaper, I'm looking for a home cleaner and neighbors referring who they're using. We fit into that very nicely. Uh, people okay. refer Green Pals like a lot in, in that kind of context. It's like, well, you know, you could call 
10 people, or you could just use this app and you'll get five quotes quickly mm -hmm. and it'll be from your, your neighbors. It'll be from local people. So it's not like we're the, the big landscaper that you have to work with. No, we put you in contact with the small locally owned operator. So you guys can work well together and, and work well in a, in a more efficient manner than you could previously. Excellent. What advice would you give to someone thinking about wanting to start a business and creating an app and doing just like you did? What would you tell them? I think um, authenticity can be a competitive advantage. Authenticity can be a superpower. And so what I mean by that is I think it can really help to be solving your own problem. Um, if let's say you maybe you worked, uh, I don't know, maybe you worked in a pizza shop, pizzeria. And this is fresh on my mind because I'm coaching a guy who's building software for, for pizza businesses. And, and so maybe you, maybe you delivered pizzas for Domino's and you saw some sort of thing that kept happening over and over and over again. And you think there's some sort of app or, or software solution. So it could be for like local pizzerias. Maybe their problem is competing with Domino's. And the reality is, is that you could get better pizza from the local pizzeria shop at probably the same price or cheaper than you can Domino's, but the problem is maybe a pain in the neck to order from them, or maybe you don't know about them, or maybe, uh, maybe they, they, you know, there's, there's some reason why that's not happening. And so who would, who would order an inferior product at a higher price? Well, maybe there's a software platform that could exist to solve that problem. My point is really look for problems you're experiencing in your day-to-day -day kind of role, life, career, and, and develop solutions for those. Because if you really try to look to innovate in something that you don't understand, it's probably a dead end. And, and I see that over and over again. It's, 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 it's particularly in, in, in my world, there's a lot of Uber for X ideas that crashed and burned, Uber for home cleaning, Uber for valet parking. And somebody tried to start the Uber for home cleaning, but they had never cleaned a home in their life. And that's why, you know, they, they, they right. crashed and burned. And so, that's my point. Authenticity as a competitive advantage. Start with what you know and, and go from there. Nice. I love it. That's really good advice because I think sometimes people get really ambitious and, you know, they need to just take it one step at a time and yeah, and start with what you know. Um, okay. So <laughs> what is something that you are super proud of that you've accomplished? I mean, I'm not saying be all braggy or whatever, but you, I give you permission. Like what's the, what's the one thing that you're like, dang, I did that. And this is what I'm proud of. You know, that's one thing about starting a business. It's very humbling. Uh, there's, there's many peaks and valleys. Um, one that what that I'm proud of from myself and my team was when we first started this business, we, we didn't know how to write software. We didn't know how to code. And so the first thing we did is we paid a development shop in Nashville, uh, $150,000 to build the first version. And we released that and it was a total flop, total failure. It didn't work, didn't have the features it needed. It Aww. was just, it was just dead on arrival. And so we kind of had, we had like a big gut check where we had to figure out, okay, well, if we're going to be in the tech business, we're going to have to learn how to write software, build software. And so the three of us, you know, we, we poured over blogs, took online courses. My co-founder went to a, a, a boot camp and we learned how to build software. It took like two or three years of, of, of just working in it and on it. And, and, uh, and we learned how to, how to become software developers to build the next version. So looking back, you know, almost 10 years later, that's something that I'm proud of us for that we Absolutely. didn't give up. Yeah, no kidding. And it's not easy to just take on something new that you don't know how to do. So that's, that is, that's great. 
So did you take on investor money or did you use your own money? We decided very early on to self-fund the business. We, we, we kind of were observing that a lot of investor capital was pouring into different ideas that were, that were similar to ours, maybe the same as ours. And they were flaming out in like 18 months. Mm. And I thought, well, I don't know that I want to go down that path. And, and so we decided really early to, to fund the business off of its own revenues. And when you do that, it keeps you like crystal focused on one thing, the -hmm. customer and really keeps you focused on solving their problems and and, and holding on to them because you need that revenue to, to survive. And that's been key to our success. You know, we're 10 years in and we haven't raised any outside capital. There's three names on our cap table and, and uh, it's a good place to be. It was hard in the early days. I'm not going to lie. The first four or five years were really tough. Um, You know, living on, you know, hundreds of dollars of, you know, so it wasn't like we were able to pay ourselves salaries day one. Like Mm -hmm. it was really, really challenging to, to survive, but, but I'm glad we did it that way because now we have a good profitable business that we own hundred percent of. Yeah. Early on, early days, taking stock and ramen noodles and (laughs) yeah, yeah, exactly. It pays off. So I'm glad. Literally like a $10 a day food budget. I mean, literally, literally just trying to, to cut our expenses. Cause uh, one of my favorite quotes is Mark Cuban. He says, the least you can live on the greater your options. And that's very true when it comes to founding a business, your personal expenses are the business expenses. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, is that what it boils down to. I love that. I love that. Okay. So if people want to uh, reach out to you or download the app or, you know, any of the contact information or uh, ways that you can be reached. Yeah. Anybody listening to this, uh, this wants to try out the app. You can just download green pal in the app store or play store. Anybody wants to hit me up. Uh, they can reach me on Instagram, Brian M Clayton. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thanks so much for sharing all of this wisdom with us and taking us on your marketing journey and well, really truly your entrepreneurial journey, but I like what you said. It's mostly marketing. So it worked right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I appreciate you having me on the show, Ray. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you uh, listening now, the best thing you can do is give us a review or share what Brian had to say with others. I'm sure you know somebody that needs to hear what Brian had to talk about today. And until next time, everyone, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Expedition Podcast. Want to continue the journey? Don't miss out on new episodes. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. Wouldn't it be great if there was one place you can go to get all the latest information and tips about marketing and advertising? The Marketing Expedition community is that place. People like you gather in our online community to build relationships with others and find the latest marketing trends, tactics, tools, and technology. We help you build your brand and your bottom line. Start your adventure today. Visit themarketingexpedition.com to find out more.